Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good, great, grand, wonderful. No yelling in the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I'm bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducktown Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me out in Kansas, Ryan, the Toe Tag Warden. That's how I have saved in my phone, Ryan. Yeah, well, that's good. It's better than a lot of things, I think, the way I'm saved in people's phones. But yeah, you definitely have the longest name in my phone. Yeah, double first name and double last name. Could be worse. All right, what's the temperature like out there? been about 95 and humid most of the days it's still pretty warm at night still still in the 80s right now pretty warm you get rain move through about every three days the system are you far enough north to where that where these on the kind of on the northern end of the southern part of those systems that move through all summer long across the midwest yeah, we've had a lot of flooding. We've got currently got roads closed because of flooding. Still? So we've, we've had quite a bit of it, yeah. Now, I, I guess, but I just really probably confused a lot of people. So as summer comes along, all the systems that usually move across the subtropical part of southern United States kind of shifts to the north and moves across the, the plains and the Midwest through there and... Anyway, I figured you would be on the southern end of those systems. Because, you know, corn, man, y'all can make corn crop because y'all get you get rain about every three or four days. Yeah, we have a bunch of our corn crop right now flooded out. So I think a lot of the guys in the south are pretty excited because they're thinking they're going to have a good year because of the ducks, are, they're going to fly over because there's no corn. Oh, man, have, please don't tell had, me you believe that crap, too. I, no, I don't, but I, I hear a lot of talk about it. But we surprisingly, we have a lot of fields that are, I mean, there's places where there's a couple miles on each side of a river system where there's no crop planted. And they've planted it two or three times. And I talked to a farmer the other day. He said, I'm, I'm spot seeding for the third time, and this is it, because it comes to a point where it's just not worth it anymore. Oh yeah. I mean, y'all's. And they had a hard, they had a hard time getting the ground on time. I mean, y'all's drop dead date. I would say it's probably first or mid June for corn. Yeah, it's towards the first of June. Yeah. But yeah. And you start battling insurance and. I think that some of those people would, would, on the hunting side of it, Ryan, I think if a lot of those people from Texas and Louisiana would ever leave the state and travel through that area where y'all are, they would understand that it's not flooded corn, this so-called short-stopping the ducks. It's millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of acres of no-till corn. I mean, to be real honest with you, I don't think there's much flooded corn is what people think there is. I don't eat not, not in Kansas. Not in Kansas because when you get to the western half of the state, it's so dry out there. Everything runs off circle irrigation. They're only allotted so many so many gallons of water. 
to use, there's no way they're going to let. I mean, if if you got cop pumping a field out there, you would be in tremendous trouble. I couldn't even imagine where the fines would begin on something like that. It would be out of control. You know, I always said, even if you just had a 1% loss, let's just say that the lowest lowest possible percentage there is, 1%. You know, y- y'all are averaging 200 bushel corn out there. That's that's two bushels to the acre. That's 100 pounds of corn per acre. Yeah. That, that'll, hold, that'll hold a lot of birds. Yeah, 53 pounds of bushel, roughly, for corn, something like that. You know, for the people that, that don't travel that part, though, Brian, you know, those ducks, dry feed in those fields, you, you, for a guide, for you, you, you try to find a good feed. You're lucky if you, you know, if you hit it, they come back in the next morning. You find a feed and you go set up on that spot you know before daylight that next day correct yeah i mean you uh i i always had better luck with them on dry fields i always had better luck with them in the evening the problem is you're fighting daylight right um but when it goes right it goes really right i mean it's it's awesome and, and you get late enough in the year where they're forced to come out a little more uh, things can get really right and really good. And it's, I mean, it's unbelievable to hunt field ducks like that. It's a blast. But it's rare that you guys ever hunt a lot of water. I mean, even I'm, take the western part, like you were talking about earlier, out of it. But it, I mean, it, it is. I guess you would. Maybe hunt some water mid morning when they're coming back from feeding a feed. Yeah, if you can find sheet water somewhere or a pond or something that they're using as a loaf pond, you know, they're coming off the roost in the morning and then not, not going all the way back in the afternoon. You can you can catch them on a loaf pond. You can do a lot you of damage them, them sheet water. You do call them ponds. You don't call them tanks. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a Texas Oklahoma deal. Dang. So, so the tank line is Oklahoma Kansas. It stops being a, I, a tank and it becomes think. a pond in Kansas. Yeah, that's 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 what we're gonna go with. That's what I think. It's like a kind of like a two track. It's, you know, the first different. time somebody ever said, we're all going to need to sit on this tank. Yeah. <laughs> you talking the, what kind of tank are we talking? Yeah, I used to uh, argue in Texas and they'd say that. Just sit on the tank. I was thinking hmm. the same thing, a horse, like a horse tank. Like a fertilized tank? Feed tank? Yeah. Uh, it's a whole lot of takes, army takes. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't thinking pond. <laughs> no, but. no way. Well, I'm glad to clear that up. I, I've always wondered where that line, where tank became a pond again. I, I think we can we can see on Duck South, but I think you here's Texas Oklahoma's tanks. Well, I knew Texas Louisiana was the the. Eastern line it became yeah. pond again. So yeah. All right. So back to the story. Let's jump back in this because I'm gonna start you off. May make you mad tonight. I'm not trying to, but gotta ask you tough questions. All, all right, right. So you put up a contest while all this was going on. How, how long after? They raided the lodge. Did you do start this contest? Three years. Oh, it was that far into it. I, I thought it was maybe like a year or two after. Uh, I started. I started coming up coming up with it at, at the end of year two. Um, but didn't really didn't really do anything with it till. 
Well, I started the turkey season. Let me let me think this out here. I, it would have been it would have been the summer of year two. Would have been the summer of year two. And I was going to do it in the fall of year three. All right. So you they braided your lodge. You're a couple of years into after you you kind of know sometime or another an indictment's probably going to come down from them. This contest, you don't have to go through all the details. Tell people what and how it worked real quick. Well, I've watched here, the YouTube video a couple of times. Here, here's kind of what got us there. One, we it was business as usual, and the anxiety of what was going on was was becoming very heavy. Some on my shoulders. I was tired of waiting to see what was going what was going to go on. Um, I had brought in new guides. Uh, one of them is a great friend of mine now. Uh, he was a great friend of mine then. He started started working for me. He was actually too young to drive. I had to have an adult in the vehicle with him. Um, but he was that talented that it was fine. And he was a killer. And so uh, he was working for me. And we kind of worked out an agreement to where he could uh, he was going to start taking all the waterfowl. Because at that point, I wasn't doing any waterfowl. I was doing, after I got burned on the waterfowl with the feds and went to Alden, I didn't do any waterfowl. Um, so we were doing a lot of turkeys and we were doing a lot of deer. And we launched a campaign on turkeys called The Road to 100. Um, we hashtagged it and it was on Instagram and everything else. So we did The Road to 100. Uh, we wanted to kill 100 turkeys in a single season. We did that. Um, one of my guys, which is a great friend of mine now, we we laugh at it now, but and he was a great friend of mine then. I started referring the waterfowl stuff to him, and I mean he was young and eager in business. I knew he was good enough. I couldn't keep him forever, um, so I knew it was kind of coming, but I didn't really want it to come, and. So some of my turkey clients ended up at a cheaper rate with him, and we kind of got into it pretty good. And he kind of went his separate way from me. And I thought, and his main deal was waterfowl, so I was really wanting to cut into his into his game. His his lodge was about five, four or five miles from my lodge. And so we were we were really gonna take a shot at his at his game. I was stressed out because the feds were not doing anything. Um, I had written the prosecuting attorney Matt Treister. I had called him. I had done everything. Called him every day consecutively, asking for clarification on on a law. Finally, he wrote me a letter and said he couldn't respond to me. And whatever so then i was more upset pissed off trying to dig through laws and whatever so uh i i was i was just becoming uh i don't, I don't know like like kind of like the pheasant at the end of the field when you're at the end of the field and everybody stops and it gets real quiet and the pheasant freaks out and flushes. It was kind of one of those deals. I was kind of on the verge of freaking out. I didn't know what was taking so long. I kept thinking, you guys surely can't be finding anything. My lawyer was trying to tell me business as usual. The longer it takes, the better off we are. And I'm thinking, no, because they're obviously focused on something and digging. And... In the meantime, John T. Brooks is showing up at one of my old guides' house, and I mean the pressure is increasing. Clients are being contacted and taken into hotels in other parts of the United States, down in Louisiana. They were, they were contacting my clients. My clients had been calling me. I mean, it was just things were compounding. Um, 
I gotta ask you this about this contest, though. Did it? Did you put you in the best light? You think with the game wardens? No. Before we start didn't, talking about the other side. Well, and that's where we're. That's kind of where we're. Where we're at is at that point. Um. Your give a damn button is broke. Yeah, I'm. I'm like calling them out, like. Like, look, nobody has ever done this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to force you to do something because I cannot handle, I cannot continue to, to go like this. I cannot function. It's 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 freezing me up and I, I can't function. So I needed to force somebody's hand or, or thought I could force somebody's hand um, by really pushing this competition. So I did it. And... Here, I had sit down, I'd ran the numbers, ran the numbers, ran the numbers, and I figured out if I could run a two-man team, so one one guy should be in the field with the clients, the other guy should be finding the next hunt. Um, if I could run a two-man team, I could run four clients and make sure that they were all full each each hunt, and then they were going to get point systems by birds. And then the winner was going to get, basically, was going to get paid the most amount of money, the $25,000. Um, it was, the, the thinking at the time was if you ran, if I ran for a 60-day period, and you're running roughly 12 to 16 clients every three days at even at like $200 a piece. Um, then, then there was some money to be made there. I, I don't, I don't, I would have to sit back and I would have to go back and dig that stuff out. Um, and I don't even know if I kept it, but the long, and the short of it was overall, the overall contest was going to produce about 180 to $200,000 and then in payouts and food while the clients were there and stuff like that, it was going to end up costing me about 50 to 65,000 is what I had figured. And so I was going to profit $120,000 roughly during the course of a 60-day period and um, we were going to do some some stuff on Facebook obviously and promote you know the guys and we we're going to promote some product and look for some sponsors and and things were falling into place and we had teams apply and we went through and selected teams to do it and there was a bunch of, it's like anything, there's a bunch of negative feedback, there's a bunch of positive feedback, uh, the, the locals were, you know, becoming restless, and all the fields are going to be full, and this and that, and that's kind of what I was wanting to do too, is put pressure on this other guy, and make him spend more money in leases, make him make his bird hunting a little bit harder because they were getting pounded away at by our guys. And it was going to also push tagging at this point. I ha I was ready to launch uh, toe tags. I had a Facebook page ready to go. I had a website ready to go that you could order off of. Um, so we were going to do it legal. I was also kind of wanting to see who undercover-wise was going to show up. Um, also, knew it was going to force game wardens to the lodge. Um, I don't know. I was I was trying to force some hands, and I ended up doing it. And and then I <laughs> then I wasn't sure that I wanted to do it, but it it happened. So. The, the the short side of it is went on there, did the video, just started putting the teams together. That was in the summer. We went through the fall. We started announcing teams, got into the spring of that year. Um, I had got remarried in the meantime, and 
was really trying to close that chapter in my life, and I was trying to force it closed one way or the other. Either that do is something. The best way. That is the best way you could put that. And I was going to try to ask a question to make you say that, and you already said it. That is the best way that you could put it. You, I mean, you wanted I think... to close this up, and you were trying to say, hey, look at me. Get this crap over. Yeah. You know, by... And I, I mean, you can go back and look at my Facebook page, and I, I mean, I would taunt them. You know, hey, it's it's 2013. I'm still here. I knew I knew they were watching. Other people, sane people, had to have been thinking, "What is wrong with this guy? Why is he posting this?" But I mean, I was right, talking I'm, to I'm, them. I'm harsh on you. I'm harsh on you to get to this point right here. See, this would be what would absolutely drive me nuts. My brain works different than most people's. Dude, I would, I would, I would just sit thinking about this all the time. Oh, it never leaves your mind. I would just ponder and, on and, it all the time. And in the meantime, you're trying to you're trying to come up with a solution. And you've pretty much got it, and you've LLC'd your name, and you've got your articles of incorporation, and you've done everything you can do to start a business. But deep down inside, you also know how this is going to go. You're trying to convince waterfowl hunters, which are the most stubborn group. Them and trappers are the two most stubborn sets of people probably in the United States. And you're trying to convince them that, Tagging laws exist, and this is the conditions that you need to do it on. And I was still on a pretty steep learning curve because nobody wanted to help me. The feds didn't want to give me much information. When they knew who I was, they definitely didn't want to give me information. Um, I was going to meetings with the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks and trying to get them to put it in the book. Finally, after 46 years of printing the book, they decided to put it in the book. Um, then they didn't give an explanation of it. So it's just gray law that's just written word for word. And so then I went back and said, can we, can we give some examples of like when to do this so people can understand this and whatever. So I was pushing on all fronts closed chapters to I was recording phone calls with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I was recording phone calls with the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. I was walking up to Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks and at gas stations in Topeka and asking them tagging law questions while my phone was recording. Um, I, I, I wanted answers. I wanted to know what was going on. So you just you sit and ponder on it. You heckle them on Facebook. You're you're at that point. You're you're like shoot me, finish me, do something. But the, I can't I can't dwell in this spot any longer. It's eating me alive. And you drive down the road. You worry about who's following you. You see a vehicle off in the distance while you're hanging a deer stand or something, you wonder who's watching you. I mean, people are like, hey, what are you doing? You want to go on a waterfowl hunt? It's like, are you a fed? Um, I've known you for 10 years, and I don't trust you. Um, I, I, friends of mine, I used to joke all the time about pulling your shirt up, or you know, you'd like to wade out neck deep with them in the water and just have a conversation about life. Because you didn't want to, you didn't trust anybody. I mean, you didn't trust anybody. That's and that's what I'm getting at. Look, for the next three weeks, just think about this, Ryan. July the fourth, from July the fourth through the August the first, 
for hunting, I think it's the dead period. It's when mm-hmm. nobody, I, I literally can't think of hardly anybody, unless you're making products for the outdoor industry, people are coming off of the turkey high. August 1st brings them back doves and you get back into wing shooting and to deer hunting but there there's a three week four week lull in here from july the 4th to the end of july that majority of us don't think anything about hunting we think about going on vacations with our family sitting on the beach drinking a you know cold beer or daiquiri for your wife or you go into the mountains, whatever it may be, but for your dead period for about three or four years there, you lingered on what the hell is going to happen to me. When everybody else was not thinking about hunting, you were thinking about, man, I wonder if that indictment's going to come down in September. I've got all these hunts booked. My lawyer told me to carry on as usual. What if that indictment comes down in September and they tell me I can't hunt anymore? Well, I mean, there's so many things, scenarios going through your mind when nobody else is thinking about hunting. You have to. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. So in 2013, um, kind of went away. 2014 started and we came into the summertime um, I'm pushing really hard. This competition is supposed to start in the fall. Um, basically, the it was going to run the second week of December, uh, I think, or, or the first week of December to the end of season type deal uh, for 60 days. So we were pushing that. I was pushing them on Facebook. I was pushing the state. At, at meetings uh, to the point where I walked in and played recorded messages from state officials answering the same question as federal officials and having two different answers, which obviously made people look really stupid and they were not happy about it. Um, so I was pushing on all levels and July rolls around you're thinking that things are getting pretty quiet and um, you're you're uneasy on every level of what is going on. Your current marriage is starting to go south rapidly because you can't, I mean, it's only been a year, but you can't, you, you're not functioning well. Um, you know, rumors of cursing other people and whatever. I mean, just things were compounding. And uh, about July, about about this time, about July 6th-ish, I get an email from my lawyer, Kirk Kearns. And he says, uh, you need to you need to come in. I've got paperwork for you. And at this point, I know that the more I've learned about tagging, the more violations that I'm looking at um, as far as storing untagged birds and everything else. Put this in perspective. So he's got some paperwork for you. Since they raided your lodge to that phone call, how long was that? Three years, roughly. Good Lord. Weight of the world on your shoulders for three years. It'll drive a dude crazy. (laughs) And it doesn't help because the more I learned, like I said, the more you're learning, the more you're like, well, I wasn't doing that. Oh, you got to have them tagged in storage if if other people have access to it and it's not your personal abode. Yep, that was a violation. And that's going to be a felony because I was doing it while I was guiding, so that makes it a, a Lacey Act violation. So 
yeah, there's another felony that we're looking at. Okay, what's the punishment? Up to six months in prison, up to $15,000 in fines. Beautiful. Next. And so it was getting worse and worse and worse. And so here they come about July 6th, and he says, they got paperwork for you. And I knew what it was. So my wife really liked the money at the time. And so I think she kind of wanted to know what was going on. So we went over and sat down and he hands me a 27 page copy. It's a draft copy of a federal indictment. And he says, he starts, we start going through it and read the whole thing, get done with it. Um, In the meantime, jumping back, when I had got married, I had sent my all of my original guides invitations and stuff. And two of them that I was really close to, um, no response, no nothing. I mean, our relationship at this point was maybe see them driving down the road once every nine months. And they would wave or something. I mean, so like they were still friends, but I was left out type of deal. And that was really, really hard because when you, I mean, you love those guys and you already felt like you let them down and it was just different. So you know, at this point, you're thinking, who who said what? What did they say? What could they have said? Um, all things that you thought about originally. Um, December 15, 2011, when it went down, all the things that you're thinking, what is there that they could have said? And you're still really not thinking that much because you're like, huh, there's really nothing there. Uh so you're, you know, you're, you're just kind of lost, I guess. And so on the way into the office, I really didn't know what to expect. He hands me this indictment. He says, this is the deal. They want to know if you want to talk. And I said, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I said, yeah. I, I mean, and these are, most of these are felonies. Like, they're all felonies. There's like 20 there's like 17 counts on there against me. And there was like four or five counts against two of my guides. So one of my guides had nothing. And my cameraman had nothing. And in the meantime, you you spent three years not hearing really from the cameraman. And you're wondering if he was a fed because he was doing... His job was to relocate people into FEMA housing, and he was based out of Wichita. And so you're kind of thinking, maybe that was just a cover-up, too. I don't know. In the meantime, he's writing stuff on forms and whatever, and you finally figure out who it is, and it's your ex-cameraman that you haven't heard from. And so... uh, he was mad because they went to his house and all this other. So anyways, I mean, everything, the chapter's closing and you don't want it to close. You can see where this is going. It's not where I want it to go. This isn't what I thought was going to happen. This isn't how I planned my life. And this is now I'm looking at felonies. I had called and talked to Jeff before, and Jeff had already told me if they're, you know, Ryan, if they're going to get you, if they want you, they're going to get you. And, you know, I, I respect Jeff tremendously. I knew where that was going. I knew that he he was telling me the truth and and whatever. So it was it was kind of one of those deals where I'm like, I'm trying to make a difference for the positive. I want to close this chapter in my life. I'm trying to do the whole toe tags deal and 
get a waterproof tag out there and make things legal and help everybody out and warn people and whatever. And I'm ready to launch a website, ready to launch a Facebook page and ready to do this competition. And everything is now coming rapidly to a close, which I wanted. And I was trying to force that, but you also don't want it. And that's really hard to explain, but I'm sure everybody out there has been in that type of situation at one point or another where they want it to be over, but they don't really want it to be over. And so you're trying to get through it. And I said, well, I guess find out what, you know, what they want to do. A couple of questions here. One, let's talk lawyer reaction. I'm I'm sure he's kind of laying his eyes on this for the first time, you know, around the same time you are. He may have looked at it before yeah. you got to his office. What what is his what is his advice? What is his reaction to this long list? Well, his take on it was let let's see let's see what they want to do and let's see what options they give us and then we'll start making decisions on there if we want to fight or not. But he said, here's the problem. It's like grabbing a handful of spaghetti and throwing it against the wall. If one of them sticks and you get one felony, you're done hunting with a gun. You're done. I was a certified NRA pistol instructor at the time. You're done doing that. You're done. I mean, and I'm thinking, I mean, like every hunter, guns are my life. I've grown up hunting and everything else. I'm not, I mean, trapping would be more difficult because you can't dispatch a coyote very easy. I mean, a ball-peened hammer works, but that's not the funnest thing. So uh, you just, things aren't going good. And, and the lawyer's take on it is, let's see what they have to say. Don't freak out. And I'm like, too late. And he's like, we have options. We can fight it if we need to. And he said, here's the other deal. You know, it's a Lacey Act violation because you took, and don't quote me on this, it was like over 250 or over $300 for the illegal act. And so... you know, he's like, we can argue that because if the illegal act was like when the one when they sh- when the clients shot the two over and they were charging, they were going to charge. Well, they ended up charging one of my guides with that. Um, he said that would you know that that act would be divided by whatever you know you you could argue that. It, the entire hunt wasn't illegal. So if you're going to encompass the entire hunt in it, those two ducks or two geese were one-sixth of the hunt. Lodging was was included in there. That was $50. And meals were included in there. That was $50. So now we're down to the value of fuel, the value of gas was all included into this hunt. So really, you're you're not taking that amount of three hundred dollars for the illegal act of transporting untagged birds. The hunt value itself, the actual hunt, by the time you divide out fuel and everything else, lodging, food, whatever, you know that that was eighty bucks profit or whatever. So he was trying to explain to me that he, you know, he could argue it that way. He he thinks he can make that point valid because, you know, you are lodging them, you are feeding them, whatever. So I left his I left his office. I was shook up, but I held it together. I got in my my truck, shut the door, immediately started crying, broke down. I, I mean, I just didn't want to do that. This is not this is not what I want to do. It had and, to be a mix of emotion, though, kind of joy and sadness. Yeah, kind of like you, kind of like you were talking about. You know, hate to see us over, but it's over. 
over. Yeah. Glad to see it's over, but hate to see it. Yeah. So, like, it's kind of like when you release a tourniquet. Yeah. I mean, your things, your blood pressure shifts, your emotion shifts, that feeling of, okay, at least now I know. And I've really struggled with that for a long time because I'm like, I just want to know. I want to know what they think that they've got that's so great. And so I pushed really hard. I just want to know. I just want to know. Well, then when I knew, I'm like, that's not that great. But the problem is they're all felonies because I was guiding. And so I didn't like that fact. And was trying to work work through that. Personally, we know where you are. Just just a guess. Where were you financially invested in this lawyer by this point? Just, I'm just asking you to guess at it. Um, I'm probably twenty. I'm probably about twenty thousand dollars in into it with the lawyer. There's still a lot more to come, right? Yes. It's, it's, uh, that, that is not, that is not, uh, not it. I, I, I leave from there and get a call. I'm with my current wife. I get a call from my ex-wife. And she says, we need to talk. And I said, okay, what's what's going on? I didn't really indulge her in what was where I had just came from, but I was driving from my from my lawyer's office. And I had a lab that was about 16 years old, and she was there when I started the business. And she was there when my three children were born and was everything to me. She was the, you know, they say you get that one dog. Well, she was that dog. I mean, I could leave her inside the cab of my truck. I could open my door. She wouldn't get in unless I invited her. I could leave her in there with French fries, whatever. She wouldn't bother them. I mean, she was amazing. I had her in my dorm at college for a long time, would sneak her out to the football field to use the restroom. Um, Then finally I got off campus with her and lived off campus with her. So, I mean, she had been there from the beginning of time. And I knew her hips were getting bad. And so my ex-wife says, Madison's not doing very good. And she said, I'm having to come home and pick her up at lunch and take her out to use the restroom. And she said, I've got an appointment set up uh, with Dr. Keeler, which was my vet. And she said, I have an appointment set up with Dr. Keeler uh, to take Madison in, and we're going to have to put her down. And... Mm-hmm. It just was not getting any better. And it's like three years and you're trying to close chapters and things aren't getting any better. And now your dog, you, I mean, you're losing stuff and you're losing your dog now. And you, you know, you're losing your business now. I mean, you're, you're, when when you think you're not when you think you're at rock bottom you just weren't and i you know i was to the point where i stopped telling myself or asking myself what else can go wrong because it seemed like god would answer that question rather quickly and i was struggling with my relationship with god and everything i just was not I was not happy with God. I was not happy with me. I was not happy with my current wife. 
wasn't happy with what what was going on with my business. I could see the waterfowl deal was going to be a flop because I'm going to have to do something with. I'm gonna have, I'm not even going to be able to run it. I'm going to have to do something, sell my business, close it. I've got hunters on the books. We're coming into fall. I've got 80 deer hunters on the books. I've got a book full of 80 to 90 turkey hunters for the following spring and guides coming in to work and it's coming to a screeching halt very quickly. And on top of that, you need to go bury your dog. And it was, that was a rough week. And, and as a matter of fact, on my timeline this week, my memories came up of Madison. My daughter wrote her a letter and my daughter was like eight. She mm. writes her a letter, says she'll love her and she'll miss her and have fun in heaven. I'll send you the letter. Absolutely it's crazy it's question it's for you, brother. Yeah. Really, really crazy question. I value my beliefs. Okay. I don't speak much on them. I hope that I live a life that professes what I believe. I do. I mean, if ever asked, I do speak on them. So, Sal, that to ask you this. All of this piling on you at once. Did you ever think to yourself, man, God's trying to speak to me through all this? I did, and my ex-wife had had told me before. Yeah, you know, I didn't want to listen to her because she was my ex-wife, but she told me the same thing that, hey, you know, do you ever think that you're uh, being told to do something here, like you need to stop? But it was my dream. It was my goal. It was my life ambition um when i was four i lost my oldest sister in a in a car wreck because of a drunk driver and she died and her name was misty and so when i started this business i named it misty morning outfitters and there's probably less than 50 people know this but now there will be a bunch whoever's listening to this podcast but um, when I started my guide service, I named it after my sister. Um, I named it Misty Morning Outfitters. Now I spelled it morning like a.m., like 8 a.m. morning, but it had a dual meaning to me the entire time. To me, it was Misty Morning, morning the loss of my sister. So I didn't. I didn't want to give that up. That was something that I created and valued the name. I didn't I didn't I didn't want to let go of that. I didn't want to close it and walk away from it. I didn't want I mean I wanted it to be the greatest thing ever like I thought my sister was. Um and so you're fighting them taking that from you as well. And I wasn't handling that very well, but um, I grew up in a Methodist church, been to church my whole life. Um, was a strong believer, and if I died tomorrow, I'd, I would have full intention to go to heaven. I wouldn't think there would be any reason I wouldn't. Um, I'm not a saint, but I'm a believer. And so, yes, during that time, you were crying, praying yourself to sleep. You're trying to figure out where your friends are, where your people are at. Why is everybody turning on you? Why does everybody hate you on social media? Why does why is it everything, nothing is going right? Why can't this stop? What I know you're trying to tell me something. What are you trying to tell me? Hey, let me and, let me ask you this. Hey, two things. One do you think that you put yourself in that lonely position 
because if you picked up the phone and called any of your friends and said, hey, and I need to talk, I bet you that. I mean, they would have been there. But do you think that not knowing, you, you put kind of put yourself in a position to sit back and dwell on this? I I do, and I'm definitely me and my best friend of all times have talked about this, and I'm definitely the type of person that when things are going bad, I create space. Big time, I'm that guy too. It, it's I I push everybody away, and I say, "Here I am, come get me." If you want, if you want me that bad, leave my family out of it leave my kids out of it, leave my friends out of it. So, so you push everybody away and it's like, you just want to scream. I'm right here. Come get me. What are you waiting for? And so, yeah, definitely. And, and it's a, I mean, that's a double-edged sword because you're pushing people away, but you want people to. Yep. And it's, it's, it's hard because you want people, but you don't, you don't want them right there, you know? I'm going to ask you another question. Man, sure didn't mean to turn into this. Do you think that Do you think God allows tragic things to happen to those that he wants to wake up the most? Do you think that? I, um allows allow this is like the the I, I don't want to get yeah regular. yeah I don't want I don't want no, to get I, into a I don't want to get into a biblical argument but you you know what I'm saying. No you know, I, I understand, we, he, I understand he, gives us, he gives us free will to make choices to put us in the positions where we are but what I'm saying is does does he allow us what I'm saying is bad things happen, just like you're talking about the tragedy with your sister. You know, I think Bad things happen speaks, to good people. There's a book written out there called Bad Things Happen to Good People. I think he um, speaks to people through those tragedies is what I'm saying. Through all of them. Yes. You know, even for, through. For sure. He's calling to you through those tragedies. He wants you to find him during those tragedies is all I'm saying. Yes. And I, and I 100% agree with that. And so I would come to him in the evening, every other evening, every fifth evening when I was sober or whatever, I would come to him or when I was drunk, it didn't matter. I would come to him bitter. Like, why, why are you, what have I done to make you to allow this to happen to me? Um, because it's 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 hard. I I know better than to be better with God, but it was really difficult to not be better with God. So, yeah, I I I, uh, I think he was definitely trying to open some eyes of mine. Um, and I was asking him at the time, what what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? I mean, it's, it's like the book of Job. I mean, he, he just, he was God's loyal servant. He took and took and took and took and took. And Job just kept saying, it's it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I believe in my God, I, this and that. He took kids, he took the farm, he took all sorts of stuff in the book of Job. And he and Job just stood stood by him and said, I know whatever. And I don't know if that's what God was wanting me to do at that time because he was taking, taking, taking. And I was thinking it's very difficult, very difficult to be nice, civil, a believer or anything at this point. Why are you letting this happen? I don't get it. What do you want from me? Tell me what you want from me. I'll do it. But I I think probably with that being said, I don't, I don't know that I, I mean, I said that, but I don't think I meant that. And I, that's probably why God didn't tell me for a long time. 
because I think I said it, but I didn't mean it. I, I think I, it was more along the lines of tell me what you want from me and we'll negotiate it. Because if I, if I don't really want to do that, then I'll let's let's compromise and I'm just going to keep doing this, but I'll do a better job of this. Would would probably be my best best response, and I think we've all been there. Heck yeah, man. I mean, all of us through death, through divorce, through the loss uh, of the child, anything. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, we we're we're all put it. A lot of us are put in that position. Yeah. Where where you want God to give you some answers, but you really don't want the answers when He gives them to you. Type deal. But I guess the main reason that I ask you that. It, dude, it just seems like hey, there's a a crap ton on your shoulders. It was bad. <laughs> it was real bad. And I, I mean, at, there's points where you, I mean, I was at this point, I was on depression medicine. It wasn't going good with alcohol. It wasn't. I mean, it things are just. You, you want the chapters to close, but you don't because then you see where they're going. And it's like, I, yeah, there's no way. And well, so I hate then, to end it here. I hate to end it here, Ryan, but next week, uh, I'm sure we'll probably start getting into you and your lawyer negotiating a kind of a, uh, not a settlement, but kind of where all the direction of... Uh, these charges are going to. Yeah. He called he calls me back a week later and brings me back in for and, the plea oh, the plea agreement oh, options. I think that that that's gonna get pretty good next week. Because you know, we kinda that's we kinda we. heard it we kinda heard it from Jeff two weeks ago. Um, I'll say this difference between Jeff's and yours. This is, and this is just purely co-host outside spectator, spectator looking at both of these cases. You know, if you get down to the nitty gritty of Jeff's, uh, I think that there were a couple of reasons that Jeff was hit as hard as he was. This is purely opinion. Okay. Number yeah. one, I keep hearing this term from federal game wardens and talking to them and reading stuff that they put into print, and it keeps coming back to this thing called respecting the resource. They get, love using that quote. Yeah. And I talked about it on that podcast with Jeff. You know, in some of his videos that he had put out, there were claims of him not respecting the resource. Not getting into the the right or wrong of what Jeff was doing, but in their eyes, they saw it as that. They saw it as disrespecting the resource. Two, I think Jeff had pissed off a lot of people. Not a lot, a few people. And there was calls for if you if you go back to that episode where we talked about the immunity witnesses. You know, mm -hmm. there were people that. In in a you know, it wasn't like Jeff was trying to go just go piss them off, but you know they just had a falling out. You know, just like yeah. the, he decided to move in in a different direction with the sponsor. Well, the previous sponsor was granted immunity and gave testimony against Jeff. Um, you know, a business partner that on a bad land deal. That guy turned around and, you know, think about that all the time with Jeff. You, when you're in your blind with your best friends, you'll do things, just you and your best friend, you'll do things that you wouldn't normally do. You, you get what I'm saying? And then that, oh, yeah, that, that best friend becomes your enemy. 
He's got everything to turn on you. And so I come to yours. I say all of that mumbo jumbo to come to yours. I don't see, I'm I'm not saying this just because you're here. I'm not seeing all of that to build up this case against you. Purely opinion, and I'm not trying to make any federal game boards mad. I'm not trying to make you mad. It, it looked like they were just setting an example for tagging for everybody to see. Yeah, and I think that you know, I think they thought there was going to be a lot more than that. But what? Just tell me what you heard afterwards. I don't care if we get get into this now, but just a couple of minutes, real quick. What did you hear afterwards that they thought they were going to find? Did they think Nobody they were going to find you just waylaying geese, burying them in your backyard, shooting over the limit? Yeah, I mean, yeah. They they never really said what they thought they were they were going to find, but that based on them going through the video evidence and whatever, I think they were one thousand percent sure we thought we were killing limits in the morning and limits in the evening, and we we just weren't. We weren't, and I'm not going to say that I've never done that. I have. I'm, I mean, I'm not I proud of it, but yeah. But I've. I mean, I'm young and eager, and we used to joke around, and I used to be pretty loose-lipped around the lodge and joked around about, you know, th- that yeah, you know, your your limit six ducks. Well, that's just a goal. Sometimes you meet that goal, and sometimes you exceed it. Ha ha ha. Well, wasn't very funny later. But I, you know, I think that was a lot of it, and there was a lot of that on Facebook. These guys were double dipping, and if we can't do it, they can't do it. And no, of course, nobody that ever hunted with us said that, and we weren't. But we were killing a tremendous amount of waterfowl in Central Kansas, and we were posting it all over Facebook for advertisement as big as as many ducks as we could get on a game strap and get around somebody's neck. We were posting it. Um, the bigger the pile, the better. And they're they're just trolling. Hundreds of hundreds. I guarantee you, every state game warden and every federal game warden has fake Instagram accounts, fake Facebook accounts. Look for the profile pictures where their face is never in it. Look for, you know, stuff that just doesn't quite add up. Their backgrounds, there's no face in it. There's no family pictures in it. Uh, their pictures are like random stuff, like Happy Fourth of July with the fireworks in the background. You know, they're just making a few posts here and there, or caught some nice fish today, and they're laying on the tailgate of a truck, but nobody's face is in it. Um, they're not tagging people in it, like I would tag you if we went on a good fishing trip. They're out there. You can go through and find them all over your Facebook page. They're everywhere. They're just they're just sitting there trolling through there, and you're trying to do stuff. They're going to your Facebook page like Joe Bob's Outfitters, and they're seeing what said. I guarantee you they're on Duck South. They're on all that stuff. They're on all those forums, sitting around watching, reading, doing their thing, stirring the pot. Hey, I heard this. I heard that. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, they're 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 hunting you. And and just like we hunt ducks and geese, the best way is throw a few decoys out there and get right in the middle of things. And that's exactly what they're doing. You know, I, I think they just saw that we were killing a bunch of stuff and we were being real successful and we were pushing hard. And it's just, it just one of those deals. They, they wanted a closer look. They got in there. They saw that we were doing some things that we weren't supposed to be as far as tagging. And, um, I mean, we were bird hitching birds the whole time. But if we pulled both wings off and the head was already off, I'd leave all the feathers attached on the breast. I did it once, handed it to him, and said, if you get stopped, there's a whole bag. There's whole, Your entire limit is in there with wings attached. Any common sense law enforcement officer, you tell them we were pulling on the wings that ripped it off because it was a 12-pound goose, they're going to, surely they're going to say, thanks for leaving the breast feathers on it. Thanks for trying to do the right thing, but so it's Facebook, boys. Facebook, Instagram. Better be careful. I see it all the time. Have have 
four or five phone calls a week. People want me to take their picture off of my Facebook page because the pile picks. And I, you know, he's a the guy's a friend of mine. I said, hey, you know, sorry, that wasn't that's not the point. And he's a customer customer of mine. He used my tags, but they're just older pictures. And I said, sorry, bud, that wasn't the point. He said, no, it, it's fine. But he said, you're making an impact. Good job. Got to watch those piles, boys. September, October, November, December, January. Those ducks are just around the corner. The guy with the biggest game carrier and the most ducks on it is not always the winner, I promise. Ryan, I enjoyed it. Hey, the the thing that we missed tonight, we've got to go back and hit next week. And I'm saying this for the listening audience, for you, for me, and when I replay it next week and say, hey, where 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 did we leave this? We got to go back and talk about some of those interviews that happened in hotel rooms, Louisiana, because I stopped you when you were going to talk about it. Okay. Some of your and there's, I mean, and I only heard of a few. I want to hear about. I want to hear how that went. I want to know. I think those guys are on Duck South. Yeah, some some interesting stuff. I want you to tell how those conversations went between you and them when they called you and said, "Hey, man." Just an interesting meeting. I mean, that that ought to be pretty good. So we'll we'll start there next week, and then we'll get into the deal making between you and your lawyer and the and the feds. So that's where it'll go next week. Ryan, thank you, bud. It's always good. I'm sorry I went thank on you. the deep deep little bit of a spiritual end, but I I don't know, man. I I need to ask that when we were talking about that's right. it. No, no worries. But, so, I mean, the long the the goal is to help who you can help. Whoever's going to listen, help them, so nobody else goes through the same things you went through. And, and on my the taglines of my email and on my on my website, when you search Totags LLC, it says, "I won't only survive; I will thrive." And it came out of a out of a series from church that a pastor spoke about was valleys and peaks and how when you're in the valleys you'll make it out the other side but try to make it easier for the people behind you plant create a well create positive things while you're in the valley so the guys that are coming behind you through the valley it makes the road easier and so I've stood behind that spiritually and tried to do that. And so I created Toe Tags LLC and I'm doing your podcast and I'm doing, I do lots of other things, try to educate guys to where their life doesn't end up going the same direction the mind did and being feeling like that. That's miserable. That's terrible. Not worth it. I wouldn't want my worst enemy to feel like that. Lonely, lonely place. Ryan, thank you again. Very, very good night. I really enjoyed it. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast powered by DuckSouth.com.